0: what it's sci-fi saturday <laughs> night oh that's right i uh, listen and this is good thank you for having me on this is adam west and adamwest.com don't forget that adamwest.com we have so many goodies for you Invasion. You will
1: tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your make duty to tell us the truth. Confess and take that we will give you
0: witchcraft. You think to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated have never been
1: defeated. That is the message to people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. sci by Saturday night.
0: From the front porch of the Farmers Telekinesis Exchange and Water Reclamation Facility, directly behind the perpetual grease fire in the Area 51 Food Court, it's once again clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 385, this edition of... Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with absolutely nothing whatsoever to say about the current state of my cold, except for the fact that I can actually talk again, I'm your host, the guy with the big red dog, the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight, most of the rest of the gang, in the Peabody Time Tunnel, sitting at the Sci-Fi Saturday Night help desk, it's our own taciturn technical trouble wrangler, Kriana. Who's busy playing Skyrim again. And she's back in the Dank Dungeon's Autonomic White Glue Repositioning Service found adjacent to the covert entrance of the Mr. and Mississippi Eternal Spring and Sulphur Depository at Cyborg University Student Center in Armlock, Wisconsin. Welcome Zombrarian.
1: Boop. Thank you. <laughs> Contact Zombrarian. I will be unavailable until summer reading is finished.
0: Oh, good. Have Lord. a
1: nice day.
0: <laughs> You've been having fun, haven't you?
1: No, uh, guys. Every listener we have, be really nice to your local li- librarian for the next like week or two.
0: Because it's summer reading for schools
1: and, and- the end of the fiscal year.
0: Oh ah. my! <laughs> so it's taking care of all these kids and balancing books. Isn't life grand? We love it. All righty. Well, for TalkCast 385, um, the gentleman who joins us tonight had his debut novel, The Ascent of Isaac Steward, in 2011. That book was nominated for the Galaxy National Book Award in Britain. His second, a dystopian sci-fi novel called Blue Friday, was released in 2012 and nominated for the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Convergence, his third book, was released in 2013, also nominated for the Arthur C. Clarke Award, and I'm beginning to see a trend here. November 2015, he published a hybrid novel-graphics novel called The Android Awakens, with illustrations by artist Carl Brown. Its sequel, Fictional Alignment, came out in February, with cover art by Tony Alcock and Mike doing all the interior illustrations. The Mike that I'm referring to is Mike French, Mike. Welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night.
2: Hello, Hiya. yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those things where when you get one of when you get an email from Britain and the guy gets, says to you, "Hey, I heard your show and I and I'd like to be on." I think to myself, first of all, nobody's heard the show, which is fine. <laughs> I have no problem with that. <laughs> but then you sent the novel, and, and the novel is fictional. Alignment, it's. Uh, How to describe it? It's as quirky as you can freaking get. (laughs) (laughs) How's that?
2: that. I quote you on that.
0: (laughs) And uh, what I've read of it so far, and I'm about a third of the way into it, Mm. it's a fun read. Nice. Uh, And and to be honest with you, even though it's it's the second in a series with the Android Awakens, Mm. uh, from what I've gotten through so far, it's kind of a standalone.
2: Good. Thank goodness. Um, you're, never, you're never quite sure as an author. You think, I think this one can stand on its own. But you're so, so much in that world, you never really know.
0: Um, and what an interesting world it is that you've come up with here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um,
2: Welcome to so, Inside My Head.
0: Okay. It's a scary place, but we've been scarier <laughs> places, so it's not a problem. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the world of Android Awakens and fictional alignment? Yeah, sure. So see, you have one se- one sentence to describe it. Go for it.
2: Um, in the future, humans don't do any culture whatsoever. It's all done by androids. Writing, music, you name it. We don't do diddly squat. There you go. That's the world. So-
0: so what's the purpose for the human – what purpose do human beings have in this world?
2: Well, that's a very good point. Uh, the androids actually end up controlling the humans. The humans are just uh, like pets, really. Um, and that's kind of the point of the novel. If you take everything away from us, if we have no purpose. If we don't even have a purpose of doing art or culture, what the heck are we about? And that's kind of where the novel goes, um, which is where we're heading a little bit. I don't know what you guys over there on that side of the pond, but this side of the pond, it's like, or oh, androids are going to be taking over our jobs. Androids are writing plays. Androids are writing, um, not androids AI. I mean, are writing uh, poetry. Um, so it's it's happening. <laughs> Scary place.
0: So I mean, this this is kind of a uber technology reactionary piece. In that once te- once you let AI technology get its foothold into culture and society there becomes little place left for the human intelligence and the human mind
2: that's kind of it although to be honest i sort of came up with the idea um quite a long time ago and then sort of seen it start to outplay in reality in front of me which has been a little bit weird uh so yeah but that's where we seem to be heading
0: so when you started out in and and in in the pre-show discussion we had, um, even though your first book came out in in 2011, you started writing it in 2007, uh, yeah. thereabouts. And, and during that time, you were the senior editor and owner of a literary magazine called The View from Here. Yes. So how did right. you, how did you get from there to being a writer?
2: Um. Well, the writer writer thing really started first. So I started getting interested in writing way back in about 2004 um, and loved it. Um, And then classic, I had no idea what I was doing. So when I finished writing the novel, I was like, this this was amazing. I really had fun doing this. Okay, well, I'll get it published because I was completely naive, didn't know what on earth I was getting myself into and thought, this is cool. Oh, sent it away to publishers, of course, nothing comes back. Um, and then after a while, the advice I got was just immerse yourself completely in that world. So I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll start a literary magazine." Then, um, so it was as simple as that, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. Uh, when, when when they
0: said immerse yourself in that world, Ooh. what did they mean? What
2: did they mean? meant they meant it. They meant treat it like a profession. So if you can take this seriously, then you need to get yourself educated. You need to understand what that world's about. You need to understand agents and publishers and the whole mechanics of everything. Um, so that you're entering into something you've got some knowledge about what you're doing rather than just walking in going oh hi and expecting everyone to know who the hell you are and sort of fall down at your feet which of course doesn't happen you have to treat it like any other job (laughs) and the reality is is you have to run against a brick wall for about seven years until there's blood everywhere (laughs) this is horrendous
0: and people look at your scars at that point and go, well, he's hung around long enough. Let's admit a <laughs>
2: Yeah, kind of. Either that or they think you're completely insane. But uh, there you go. Probably right. But
0: I think you know, complete insanity is probably part of the curriculum at that
2: point. I think for an author, if you want to be published, traditionally anyway, being insane definitely, definitely helps. And a very, very thick skin.
0: And I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, new and upcoming authors right now. Who are cho- choosing, for whatever reason, uh, possibly it's the bloodshed, not to go that route. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, I, and I, I, so when I started off this sort of self-publishing uh, business, was just starting to gain a lot of traction. Um, and I, I just resisted it, really. Um, I talked to, over with my wife, and we just decided, look, let's just hold out. You've spent all this time writing this novel. Just wait just don't give up after a year, which is why it took me seven years before I got it. Um, but it was just being stubborn in the end and thinking, yeah, I know this is available, I, but I really would like to go traditional route. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with self-publishing, but it's just kind of where I felt that this is where I'm leaning towards and I just need to persevere, uh, which is what I did. So, uh, But then since then, obviously, the, the self-publishing industry has just gone ballistic. It's a huge, massive industry <laughs> now. Um, it's totally changed
0: so what got you writing in the first place? What were you doing before you were writing and then decided, here's where I want to be? Uh,
2: um, I, do you know what? I don't actually know the answer to that question. I, um, my, sort of my, my life career is just all over the place. Um, so I started off doing uh, working for a bank after I left um, Polytechnic, which is uh, university, probably. Right. Right, right. more sense to you. Anyway, uh, so uh, worked at a bank. After about seven years, decided, "What the hell am I doing? I hate this." <laughs> um, <laughs> and then did, uh, started doing. I think the, we've all been to that yeah, spot. Like, oh, this is nev- I can't. This can't be my life. It just can't be. <laughs> I guess no. Um, so I started doing an uh, Open University. Have you heard of Open University? No. It's uh, something where you can uh, study a degree. Um, but correspondence-wise, so you do it remotely. So it's oh, all nice. they send you. Okay. It's really cool. So I did uh, science, so you end up with them sending you chemistry stuff, and you're in your kitchen with chemistry sets and bunts and burners. It's uh, it's really cool. They're probably not so good if the police knock at your door and ask
0: what, <laughs> <laughs> what else you're doing. And I'm guessing it annoys the crap out of your wife as well.
2: Oh, well, she's a scientist as well, so she was, she was all right. I, <laughs> <laughs> so, I was cool there. Uh, but anyway, on the back of that, I then started doing optical engineering. Um, and then halfway, well, a couple of years, about three or four or five years into that, we had children. Hooray! And um, after lots of i mean, an hour in and talking about it, I decided I would go the home dad route. So I was a home dad for my kids for quite a long time. Um, and it was really during that thinking, OK, I need to do something to uh, stimulate my brain as well as being the dad mode. Um, in different ways that so wasn't sort of just Barney and uh, all that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> that stuff <laughs> so, will hurt you after a time.
2: You know what? I uh, My oldest son is called Matthew, and I love him to bits. Um, and he loves he used to love watching Barney the Dinosaurs, but I actually hate it. It makes me want to be sick. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love so, it so much. I still play it for him.
0: <laughs> here's the difference between your generation and mine, because I'm like really old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because when I was at that age with my two daughters, it was Warner Brothers cartoons and Sesame
2: Street and Sesame the Muppets. Oh, there you are. And that,
0: that was, that was the best every day.
2: Cookie Monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my childhood. <laughs> and
0: I mean, I just did. Uh, You know, to this day, good Roadrunner cartoons and the house just stops dead. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll all just sit there and watch the anvil fall on the coyote. We'll smile at each other and then the life goes on.
1: (laughs) Didn't we watch some Animaniacs at Thanksgiving this year? We did, actually. (laughs) I'm pretty sure we did. It was either Thanksgiving or Christmas. We watched Animaniacs.
0: Yeah. (laughs) When the entire family sits down and just. Watches really good cartoons, you and know. None of us are
1: nature. under the age of twenty five. <laughs> I would like to reiterate. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, there yeah. of, isn't there loads <laughs> of
2: rules around Roadrunner? <laughs> there's loads of rules of Roadrunner. Like he, he has to be on the road all the time. He can't kill the coyote. It also has to be something else that kills the coyote. Yeah, I think it's really complicated. <laughs> so I've heard. Maybe the best
0: interview we ever had was with the guys who did the voices for Animaniacs. Because we all just kind of sat there and went, okay, I don't have to do anything. This is cool. <laughs> 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 so you're s- hanging around as your stay-at-home dad. That's right. And which in itself is a tough job. And yeah. I bless you for doing it. But you, you you're looking to do something for you. And that becomes writing. And at that point, what brings you to sci-fi?
2: It, it was kind of a couple of steps. So really, the, um, the first one, The by Isaac Stewart, is really probably, don't tell my publishers this, okay? but it's probably more of a literary novel. Um, and then they get more sci-fi-ish as you go on. So I've just... Gasp,
0: he wrote a literary novel.
2: Yeah, that's like a a bad word. I did a literary novel. (laughs) Um, Don't worry about that one, sci-fi fans. (laughs) Yes,
0: We'll find something to make it fit the genre. I mean, if it can do it, so can you. Perfect.
2: (laughs) So I snuck that one in. And I think they became more and more sci-fi as it went along because um fundamentally i just like exploring uh humans how they react what, what emotional reactions and stuff like that and sci-fi is just such a brilliant way of putting characters in extreme situations and saying okay what happens what does this tell us about humanity what does this tell us about how people react in that so that's why i like sci-fi because it's easy to put you know to get them in some really good situations where you can really bring out what is humanity? How does it respond? And it's just like, it's like, it's like putting your characters in the microwave and going 10 minutes. Bing. See what happens. To them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so- and some of them die quite, quite a lot of my characters die. So there we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that happens. Yeah. What
0: in your formative years, when you were figuring out what you liked and what you didn't like, got you into science fiction? What kind of writers, what kind of TV shows and stuff?
2: So, uh, writers, uh, I like Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And I used to love the TV program I made of that. I don't know if you got that over there uh, when I was a kid. There were like three different
0: versions of it at one point.
2: Yeah, I like the the um, BBC did a TV version of it a long time mm-hmm. ago. Um, the film, which came out fairly recently, was okay but not. Not I was really. going to say that wasn't that wasn't all that tremendous
0: in the original.
2: Bad, yeah, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't there. And then the early, really early ones, the radio shows. I never really listened to those. It was really the TV because I was just a kid sat in front of the TV thinking, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> I Just absolutely <laughs> loved it. <laughs> um, and then obviously as a kid, you know, I, I I was a kid in the '80s, so it was going along watching Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. So that really blew. Star Wars, Star Trek,
0: anything with star in the name worked.
2: Yeah, it's like, I, I have to watch that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Star Wars, Douglas Adams, uh, and then sort of more recently, uh, Ian Banks kind of stuff. Have you read his things? Read his books?
1: Uh, a little
0: bit of his, but not, not uh, an awful lot, no.
2: So that kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, to be honest, uh, comics played a big factor in as well. So I've always been in, we go have a comic over here called 2000 AD. Have you heard of 2000 AD? Mm-hmm. Um, so massive 2000 AD fan. So I just consumed that every week. Uh, that's led into my brain, uh, and infected me, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think that's an unfortunate thing at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, it's always been, you know, Marvel versus DC bashing back and forth. And at one point, I think I purged 90% of the DC comics from my collection. And I'm sitting here and looking at eight or nine long boxes full of stuff, which is just ridiculous.
2: <laughs> I always liked 2000 D because it was more kind of uh, almost punk, really. Punk and uh, not afraid to make political comment, not afraid to be in your face. Just weird, different. Um, and I loved all that. Soaked it up. The other thing I really liked was... Uh, I love Terry Gilliam. So stuff like Brazil, that had a massive impact on me when I was a kid. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is the best film ever. It's it still my favorite film even today. So I, I've got to tell
0: you, I was, I was, I was watching uh, Brazil hmm. maybe about four or five months ago for, I don't know, the 15th, 20th time. Yeah. And realized that it's more relevant today than it was when it first came out. Yes, that's probably true. (laughs) And it it was kind of ugly and sobering, and I'm going, Jesus, Terry, give me a break. (laughs) I mean, because, you know, there's an awful lot of science fiction movies that become dated, or the effects make it a giggle fest more than a political statement.
2: That's true.
0: Uh, But, yeah, the the more I, I sat there and I watched it, and at one point, I just kind of went, oh, I've got to shut this off. And, and I just cannot take this anymore. It's hitting way too close to home up here.
2: <laughs> and Which I just love i, I, loved, sorry, I loved the ending of it. That really got me. It was like, especially as a kid watching it, thinking, okay, there's no happy ending. He's basically now, lobotomized. He's none. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, there, w- there was a point in
0: time when I was in college when we would all rock, walk around, uh, those of us who were like pathetically nerdy. And go. I'd like to talk to you about ducts. <laughs> and we 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 had these smug, self-centered looks on our faces, and nobody else knew what the hell we were talking about. <laughs>
1: <That's
0: true. laughs> but thank God you did. <laughs> uh, That's <is> funny. <laughs> so, you know, you you had this this upbringing, this mm. all these things melaging around you, pushing you towards. This first exercise, and you're trying to write a book while caring for two children. How difficult yeah. is that? Uh, it, it
2: it it wasn't that difficult actually. So by um, so I've got three three kids. Finally had three kids all came along, um, but I managed to synchronize them so that they had their little afternoon naps at the same time. Nice, nice. And they used to nap for about two hours in the afternoon. So that was my writing time was right i've got two hours most afternoons go but that really helped me because i could i didn't have the luxury of going oh i don't know if i've got the muse or if it's really yeah i don't know (laughs) it was like that's my two two hours hours i can't wait so i'd be like bang in go
0: (laughs) and you, you just have to make the best of that two hours and if nothing happens nothing happens and if more has to happen. It can't because all of a sudden they're awake.
2: Exactly. So it was a strange way to write the first novel, but at least I had you know some people that uh, starting off even well, even authors that have been going for a while write at three in the morning or something. So at least I wasn't having to do that. So I would I would not have enjoyed that.
0: So was was did that kind of regimentalize your your working situation to where once the kids were at the point where they were older. You could still break for that two hours and, and feel secure in, in using that time?
2: Uh, so it shifted. So as the kids got slightly older and then started going to school, um, it shifted a bit. And then when they were all three of them at school, um, they started, I think they went originally just mornings. So the two hours became, oh, now I've got all morning. And then when they all went ended up going full time, it's like, oh, right now I've got between, I don't know, half nine and three o'clock each day. So that actually was really cool. Because that, that meant you could just sit in it a lot more and just be, you know, immerse yourself in that world rather than having to do the, you know, the grinding crunch of, right, stop, everything stops, can't come what back I to it. To with you know. that,
0: that whole work ethic of I've got uh, a limited amount of time, I'm working, I'm focused, I'm focused, except that two hours is now three and a half or four. So you probably were getting a lot more done at that point.
2: I get a lot more done, but that kind of work ethic still helped because obviously, um, being the home dad, even though the kids were at school, it's like right, I've still got to uh, do the school run and still got to uh, do all the domestic stuff like the washing and the hoovering and all that kind of stuff because uh, hey, my life's so rock and roll. <laughs> but it's still so I had to, everything has to be done. Right, I do that, 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 and then I can have my my writing time, sort of protected. Well, trust me, i
0: was <laughs> glamorizing it. <laughs> There's a lot of work involved there.
2: There was an awful lot of work. <laughs> it was it was logistics. It's like right. it's it's back to when you. Really, really love something, and you find ways of making it work. Is yeah, it's the same for everyone, really?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, five books later, actually three mm. books later, mm. and you decided to come up with uh, a hybridized novel, graphic novel, regular novel, mm. uh, and, and created a new. Universe to work it in, yeah, uh, and, and it's a universe in the in the near but not too near future where humans are kind of as you as you said pets yeah. more than more than functionally part of society, and at the same time, um, in the first book, Carl Brown came in and did all the illustrations for it. He did uh, in the second book. You did all the illustrations yourself.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, number one, you didn't like Carl? or <laughs>
2: <laughs> Carl's probably listening to this when it goes out. So <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Sorry, Carl. I actually knew the answer to that. I was just
2: trying to keep <laughs> I, I um, No, so I love Carl. He's one of my best mates. Um, uh, but um, working on something like an Android Awakes is so intensive because Android Awakes had a lot more artwork in than original alignment uh, a lot more artwork and really it was just uh, you, you kill yourself doing it so at the end of that it was like you know there was just nowhere that project was going to happen again like that in the near future because we were completely spent so um and Carl had other commitments and things with his work and because Carl's Carl is like most artists Starting out holding down a full time job as well as trying to do his illustrations and stuff, so uh, sometimes you have to just have a bit of a break and go right you're gonna do something that isn't quite so intense for a while. I'm gonna get on um I've going to, you know got an idea for the follow up and i'll I'll do that so I'm sure we'll work again in the future, but no, we haven't fallen out not yet anyway, not till he hears this
0: oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. i I kind of knew that he had other commitments at that point, yeah. but uh. What made you, I, w- where did your background in art come from? Uh,
2: just as a kid. So I've got no formal training in art. Um, just always did loads of art when I was a kid. My, i going to, this is uh, way back now when, so it was called O-Levels back here, which is a long time ago. Uh, didn't do O-Level art. My art teacher was really disappointed that I didn't pursue that. I was doing sciences and maths and stuff. Um, and then kind of just did less and less art as sort of i got older. Um, and then, so once I got back into the writing, when well, you know, I started writing, when I came to do fictional alignment, I thought, uh, why don't I, uh, make it a bit difficult for myself, I <laughs> <laughs> a challenge where I think, Oh my God, cause why don't I, think, I just double the work I have
0: what, to what, do on this one?
2: Well, it's also the kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if I could do this. I haven't done any art for a long time. Um, Carl's done amazing artwork in Android Awakes. Um, I know I can, I know I can write, um, but I don't know how people react if I do a bit of artwork. So I just decided, hey, look, it, it, the, the only way to be good at this game is to push yourself well out of your comfort zone and keep doing that. So I thought, right, I'll have a go, and 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 did that. So that that was the most nervous thing I was uh, that I did, to be honest, uh, but had amazing fun doing it at the same time.
0: So why? I mean, not that I think it's a bad idea, uh, these hybridized novels, uh, because I don't, I mean, when they work, they're phenomenal. And we're seeing a lot more of them now than we have in an awfully long
2: time. Um,
0: but what made you decide that that was the way to go with, with this, uh, series of books?
2: there is a number of things one of them is that the market definitely is changing and has changed so people buying physical books now uh really want something that looks nice that is a nice object that they they're not buying an ebook or a kindle book because they want to have a nice object to put on their bookshelf or put on their coffee table so how the book looks is a lot more important than it used to be when it just Bung out the pulpit and books in the you know, rubbish old paper and stuff. It has to look, it's a bit like music. You can just listen to music for, you know, on whatever. Um, but you buy the album if you really love the band because you want the physical object. So it's that kind of thinking of, okay, how can we make it more special? And then the rest of it's really just because I I love 2000 AD, I, I do love art. It was like, oh, I just would, you know, I'd love to mesh those two things together. Um, and reading books when I was younger that were illustrated, and all uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, which is illustrated. Thinking, oh, why don't we do that more? It's really, I you know, just really love it. It just, it just works for me having the the prose and the illustrations next to each other. Um, and some of the more uh, arty ones in the comic world, like Charles Vess's work and um, stuff like that, and Dave uh, Dave McKean on Sam Man. Thinking, oh, it just looks so good. Why can't that happen in the more traditional market?
0: And the fact of the matter is is now that it it is, yeah, it is
2: an, an awful global.
0: lot
1: yeah.
0: um, so I have a question for you and I'm not sure how we're gonna answer this'm oh uh, I'm, and I'm not even sure exactly how to ask it mm. so I'm just gonna ask it the Perfect. and I've got I've gotta find my stupid thing here here we go. Uh, The Android writer, pd one two one nine two eight. The minute I started reading it, I went, why is he naming the writer after Philip Dick?
2: Oh, um, you are the first one. Really? God bless, God bless you. Yes, you're the first one. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> you, <you're
0: the> <laughs> you seriously are the first one. <laughs> I had no idea if that was even right or not, but it just... No. Like, immediately
2: jumped at me. Oh, my God, you should win a prize or something. (laughs) Well, uh, I'll be waiting for it. I'll I'll speak to my (laughs) publishers. Oh, my God, you got to send him a prize. he has got a a week's holiday in uh, Disneyland. (laughs) Uh,
0: I'll take a week's holiday in Kent. That'll be fine. Uh, (laughs) But, um, no, I'm a huge Philip K. Dick fan. Nice. Um, and, um. we actually had the Philip K. Dick Film Festival uh, on for a show a couple of months back, and we're uh, working on an alignment with them, and a number of other Philip K. Dick uh, things going on. But uh, there, there is a feel, there is a a detached kind of feel to this book, and not having read the other ones, um, that that dick brought to, to his writing so how, how big an influence was was he now that i know that i was right about this <laughs>
2: <laughs> um he probably less of a direct influence and more just in the background of kind of you know oh my gosh one of the greats um and probably like a lot of people introduced to him not initially through his books, but through watching stuff like um, Blade Runner and being blown away by Blade Runner. And it's like, oh, that was based on the Philip K. Dick book. And oh, really loosely, and sort of then picking up Androids. Really
0: away. loosely, <laughs> too. <laughs> Do
2: Andro- yeah, really loosely. And then picking up Do Androids drink, uh, Dream of Electric Sheep and reading that and liking that. Um, so really, it was more kind of a homage of um, this is one of our great sci-fi writers. Um, so sort of wanting to have elements of him put in there uh, so yeah but but um as a an author yeah i have, I have to admit that it ultimately it was the films that really grabbed me and then it was digging into films of like, who's behind this And um, but yeah blade runner is a weird one isn't it because it's, it's got very little to do with the book um, it's but. it's
0: maybe 15 percent of that book yeah i mean there, there's a whole lot of government stuff that's not there there's a whole lot of religion and 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 Humanity stuff that just never makes it there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's unfortunate. The, the, and the, it doesn't help that there's seven or eight different cuts of the movie.
2: <laughs> Lady Brothers is a little bit like Brazil. So then, if you're with Terry Gilliam's Brazil, that went through various yeah. cuts with the, the film studio not wanting a sad ending and whatnot and stuff. And yeah, Blade Runner definitely went through the same thing, didn't it, with this? Oh, we have to have this crappy voiceover. No, you really don't. And stuff like that. (laughs) So let's re-edit the film a third
0: time, and then a fourth time, and then a director's (laughs) cut, and then a new studio cut, and then another director's cut. And then there was one point, I I swear to God, at least in this country, where you could buy the full set in a briefcase. (laughs) And it was it was called the Blade Runner briefcase, and it had all eight versions of it in a leather-clad briefcase. And I think it was like 800 or $900. It was ridiculous.
1: Why?
2: Why would you? <laughs> I don't understand that. Don't
0: ask me why. It's sitting in my goddamn closet downstairs.
2: Oh, you've got one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hate to admit it, but yeah, I do.
2: There you go. I'll change track that That's a wonderful thing to have I wish I had one of those
0: (laughs) (laughs) Send me the kid for a week I'll bring it with me and drop it off Yes (laughs) So Mike Mm. uh, What can you say To our listeners To kind of I mean as if this this interview wasn't enough to, To To hook them into Getting the book and reading the book and and liking it as much as I do. So, what
2: with um, Fictional Alignment or Android or both of them?
0: Or maybe the whole thing, maybe the maybe whole that whole universe.
2: So, um, th- yeah, go. Okay.
0: And so the, whole u- the, the whole third. universe,
2: the third one, yeah, which I have <laughs> started. <laughs> no, a- Android Awakes is a, a, a really good start off book. Because you basically got this Android and it's having to write sh- novels, but novels for them are just like a thousand words, because a bit like Twitter, everything's got condensed. So a whole novel's only a thousand words. And it's having to write a thousand word novels and try to get them accepted. So there it's like a it's like a book of short sci-fi stories, but with this overarching premise of this Android, which is an Android publishing program because it's the Androids are doing all the writing, has to get one published and it keeps getting rejected, keeps getting rejected, and it's getting more and more asked about it, and more and more fed up, and more and more, oh, they're going to kill me, because if it doesn't get accepted, they deactivate the Android, which is death. So its stories get more and more dark, and more and more longer as it, can't, you know, it thinks, oh, I can't be bothered doing just a 1,000 or do whatever I want. Um, but it's a nice, it's, it's, if you like short sci-fi stories, then it's, it's a nice bundle where you have that with the overarching premise. Then fictional alignment, which is the follow up to it, just really takes that world and just goes completely mental with it. So, if you think Android Awakes is bizarre, fictional alignment just is like, well, let's just turn that up to Gas Mark 10. (laughs) It just goes mad. Um, And it takes the whole world and it goes, well, the androids have now decided that um, fiction is is rubbish, it kind of degrades society, because if they decide that society is going to work properly, you have to be very specific and precise um, about what you're talking about. Um, You can't have fiction and things that aren't quite right, you can't communicate like that, it must be clear. So they decide, right, all the fiction we're going to destroy, it's not good for society anymore. Um, but because and, uh, because some of the work is so deeply ingrained into the AI's consciousness, they can't just delete it. So they come up, with, and this is, if you like, time travel, um, they come up with um, jumping back into time and taking the um, bit of fiction make into fact by re-enacting, reenacting them, a bit like a snuff movie would. Um, but it's one thing having a, um, a sh- short story, sci-fi story, as uh, another thing to actually, what does that look like that actually played out in the world? So that's what the androids go back and do. And it just goes absolutely mental. Uh, so they are. That's a very weird elevator pitch.
1: For <laughs> the world. Not bad like- at all. <laughs>
2: yeah. So weird stuff time travel, nature of reality, what the heck is culture, um, all that kind of stuff sort of thrown into it.
0: All kind of filtered through the odd but yet wonderful mind of Mike French. Mike, thank you. thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. It's It's been a lot of fun. Great. Thank you very much. It's been our pleasure. Hey, next week on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, we ain't here. Just thought I'd mention that right up front because the week after, Jay Moulton
1: comes to talk to us about Vermont Comic-Con and Vermont Comic-Con because those things are coming up soon. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official that's the next one. I'm the I'm the 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 more news coming soon about healing problems. Original music production was provided by Robbins. More of his amazing stuff can be found at robautoblog.com. Now sell on Amazon. Their country music is provided by Lawrence Wright. Check them out. We are amazing. Thanks so much to the gang From the time to the to Samuel, and the people behind the scenes. We got this album together. we Thank you both for your much. Just don't say your genie, you're cutting this buttons, you're joy. We all enjoy the you I know.